From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 107, and I'm by myself for the first little bit, and then I'm joined by Mike Connell for the end. Mike is a writer, editor, and journalist. You can check out more about him by going to his website, communicative.co. I'm going to watch what is, I believe, known as the Man Without a Name trilogy. It's a series of Sergio Leone films starring Clint Eastwood as uh, as a gunslinger that kind of goes from town to town saving a whole bunch of people. Uh, It consists of... For a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, and the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I have seen none of them. And what's worse, I've owned these films on DVD for probably at least 10 years. I think longer. It's a bit embarrassing. This is definitely one of my uh, iconic series black holes that I've been meaning to fill for quite some time. And initially, I was going to try and get some other people to join me, but it's also just a whole, a whole bunch of film to try to get someone down to sit down and watch in one go. And not that I'm going to do that either. So this will be spread out over uh, multiple viewings, and I'll come back and talk about each film at the end of that. So what do I know about this film? I know, you know, I think the, the term spaghetti western came out of this film or films of this era. Um, these types of films. I know that the music is a, is a big thing. The, uh, the composer is well known. I believe Tarantino has used him or has you know, been greatly inspired by him. I know Tarantino is very inspired by these films, as are many, many contemporary filmmakers. So I'm looking forward to that, especially now that I've gone back and I really got into Akira Kurosawa, who I think was one of the major influences on people like Sam Peckinpah and Sergio Leone and all these guys that are making these big John Ford and people that are making these big big westerns. I think really look to his samurai films as uh, as inspiration and a template for how to do this and, and using the the old west as kind of our version of that the North American version of samurais, which is kind of I guess accurate to some extent. Uh, so yeah, I'm really really excited to check these out. And uh, and dive deep into them with my my thoughts after we watch. So so first up, for a for a fistful uh, a fistful of dollars. All right. So I just finished. And about 10 minutes into this, I started to get a little nervous, um, thinking that I actually had seen this movie once. And then I realized and forgot that it's a ripoff remakes, ripoff slash remake of Yojimbo, 
the story being that Sergio Leone had seen Yojimbo, really, really loved it, and then basically just made his own version. And when the film got released and did really, really well, Kurosawa actually sent him a letter saying, I love your film, but there's a problem. It's my film. And so uh, through a lawsuit, Kurosawa and his partner, writing partner, ended up getting something like 15% of the the profits from the film. So so that worked out well. Yeah, it's almost a a scene-by-scene remake of Yojimbo. So if you've seen that film, you've... Oh, beep, beep. So if you've seen that film, then you've seen A Fistful of Dollars. Um, uh, So so it was nice to kind of see a parallel. And so really you've got to... You know, what are the differences and and which one's better? I don't know. Because you've got... um, you know, Kurosawa and Leone are both great at what they do, and they both have their own visual styles. And we've got Mifune and Eastwood. And Eastwood, this is his star-making role. Uh, by the time Mifune had played uh, Sanjuro, who is the, the, the man with no name, who has a name, in uh, although it's a kind of a vague name, so it's not really a name, in, in the Ojimbo movies, uh, they both have their own styles, and he was, and he was a big name by that point. Uh, and this is the, the film that made... Eastwood break out. So it's interesting because there, you know, I think Sanjuro is more of a character, you know, the, the ex samurai, he knows good from bad. He's still taking advantage of these two sides, trying to make a little bit of a profit. Um, but he's a little less devious than, uh, the man with no name or Joe as the undertaker seems to call him, which I don't think gives him a name. I think that's just what the undertaker has chosen to call him. Um, so yeah, so which one's better? I don't know. I think, I think the one major difference and the one thing that this film has that Yojimbo doesn't is Ennio Morricone's score and holy shit, it it might be the thing that edges it out ever so slightly. Yojimbo is still an amazing, great film and the fact that it came first and created the story puts it back on par. So yeah, I can't really pick one of these two movies over another and damn you for trying to make me. You didn't make me. I understand that. Uh, so this film was entirely dubbed into English after it became a a huge hit. Um, apparently Clint Eastwood didn't, didn't do any of his lines until way, way later. And the ADR is not terrible. The only person who's super annoying is the kid Jesus, uh, is super, super annoying in that. Um, you know, the story is a great one. It's about a man who comes to town, sees an opportunity where basically the town has been overridden by by a corrupt sheriff and his family and bandits, and and they've been at a war between the two groups for as long as anyone can remember to the point where nobody's really working in the town anymore. They're just killing each other on both sides. And so the man rolls in with no money in his pocket and decides that he can take advantage of these two groups and, and make, a, make a quick buck. And it's really fun watching. I mean, what's really great about this character and one of the, uh, one of the Rojos, I think, who are the, the criminal element uh, side of, of the two sides, even says, it's like, what's more dangerous about a man who is a quick draw is a man that's intelligent. And that's what they're really up against. They're up against a guy who's playing a game of chess between two sides and getting them to fight it out. Um, and so 
ultimately he's doing kind of a shitty thing. He's just setting these two sides up to massacre each other. Um, but you you can justify that by saying yes, but he's also trying to free the town from the tyranny that's been going on for as long as anyone can remember, which the bartender points out at the beginning. He says that, you know, the only one working in this town is... Uh, no one works in this town anymore. And then Clint Eastwood makes a comment about how he can hear someone hammering outside, and he says, I think you're wrong. He opens the window and shows that it's the undertaker <laughs> who's the only person working because there's so many dead bodies. Uh, and I love this film had... I mean, and, and you know... It's, it's based off of Yojimbo, so it makes complete sense. But this film was just fun. And I love that it had a sense of humor about itself. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to praise this film too much for all of the, the great scenes and set pieces and scenarios. Because it's essentially just, you know, taking a cue from Yojimbo. So that film gets all the credit there. But I think Leone does a really, puts his own visual spin on it. You know, this is one of his early, early films, and so he's doing some neat things with the camera. The, the wide shots are just really gorgeous and showing the Old West. I mean, that, that whole end sequence is just phenomenal, you know, and it's really when that score comes in, it's just great. You know, the way it's shot, the way it's composed, it's pretty perfect. You know, it's hard to get better than that. So, yeah, this is just a really, you know, without ruining any of the nuances of like this cat and mouse games he's got going on with both sides. This is a really, really great film. Um, I recommend watching this with Yojimbo as a companion piece and seeing that what you think about the similarities and the differences. I think that's really great. I'm, uh, I'm excited to watch the next one at some point in the near future and see if they just basically ripped off Sanjuro as well, or if it, it becomes its own thing. Um, yeah, and I know, and I'm really, really excited to get to Good, Bad, and the Ugly, because I know that's considered the the masterpiece of these films. Um, so yeah, really, really enjoyed digging into this again and put a smile on my face. Um, I loved it. So next up is For a Few Dollars More. So I just finished for a few dollars more. Oh, this film had a great opening shot. It's this beautiful wide, and and you hear a gunshot, and the dude falls off his horse. And I think apparently at this point, uh, Leon didn't know you couldn't shoot stuff like that in U.S. cinema. Or you could. There was something about this that I read was against the Hayes production code, but he wasn't aware of it. And he got away with it anyway. Anyway, that's I always find that kind of stuff fascinating. Uh... I really enjoyed the simplicity of the narrative in this one. There isn't so much a plot as there are just a bunch of really, really fun sequences to keep you going and entertained. Uh, Ebert, who loved this film, said that it's one cliche after the next, that it's not done well, but it's overdone well. And I think that's a really great way to describe this movie. It's full of great sequences, like the one where Mortimer has a stare-off with the guy whose cigar he steals to light his pipe. And that scene is just delicious with tension. I loved it. Uh, the first real scene with Clint Eastwood and the Mortimer character, uh, where Clint shoots his hat off the ground, fucking with him, only to have Mortimer then shoot his hat off his head and keep it in the air, continually shooting it. 
That was such a great and wonderful pissing contest and an introduction to the two of these people's dynamic. You know, it's all we need to know about them and how they're going to interact with each other, just constantly one-upping each other. Just loved it. Uh, Lee Van Cleve as Mortimer almost feels like a second coming of Clark Gable in a, in a weird way. I hadn't seen him in anything else, so he was a really nice breath of fresh air and, and someone new to discover here. The film has a great villain in Indio. Uh, I think I'm saying his name right. He's a crazy bank robber who isn't scared of robbing a bank that's seemingly impossible to rob. Stories like this are always the most exciting when the villain is up for an impossible task or problem and you're just curious how they're going to carry it out. I love the reveal at the end that he knew that Clint and Mortimer were bounty killers. Not hunters, by the way. They refer to them as bounty killers. Uh, you know, he knew that they, they were against him the entire time. You know, and, and I like that despite having an alliance, both Clint and Mortimer know that the other isn't going to play along all the way. It's really, really great when characters are being smart and intelligent and doing their best. Um, and, and the movie doesn't just have them make mistakes for the sake of making mistakes so the plot can work. The music in this film continues to be fantastic, just like it was in the last one, especially at the end. You know, the stuff that's tied to the pocket watch is haunting and beautiful, and it's honestly not expected in a film like this. You know, Norman Mirioni is, is so referenced as much as Leone is. Um, did I say his name right, the composer? I think so. You know, it's uh, that music's so iconic. Uh, some random things I loved. I love the close-up sequence, cutting back and forth between the eyes and the wanted poster. That crazy house with the crazy old man beside the railroad track is this hilarious random thing in the middle of the movie. Uh, the shot, that wide shot where the shot ha- the house shakes, is is pretty awesome. Uh, I love that it ends up being a, a revenge story from Mortimer, and that he doesn't actually want any of the money. He was just there to. Uh, get revenge for I think it was his sister that died that was killed by uh, Indio it's interesting here that Clint's character just seems to be out for money because I remembered him being more helpful in the first one he was worried about the townsfolk and he wasn't just a gun for gun for hire Uh, and technically though I was reading that this isn't technically a sequel uh, to Fistful of Dollars because there was a falling out that Leone had with the uh, the producers of that film. So the character was called Joe in that film. He's called Manko here. Though it's the same guy. He has the same blanket draped over him, which is, is I think, a nice little detail. And he smokes the same cigars. It's the same guy. He was just getting out of a lawsuit. I really dug this movie. It was fun and light. had an easy-to-follow narrative with entertaining sequences. I mean, what more do you want? I am really pumped to see the last film in the series, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which I've always heard is the best of the bunch. And it appears I have someone to join me for that episode. So stay toned. Stay tuned, I should say. Not toned. Oh, you can stay toned if you're working out. Stay toned. Uh, We'll be back in mere moments with a guest. I hope. Or I'll be by myself, which is sadder. But I'll still hopefully enjoy the movie. So this is a bit different than how I usually start these because I actually started this as a, as, a, as an episode where I was going to watch all the films and just do my own critiques. Yep. And so I did the, the previous two films. Cool. But now we're sitting down to watch uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which I've never seen. And this is... 
Uh, Mike Connell, I have seen it. It's it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, I didn't see it in order with the other two. So when I originally saw it, so um, it, it, but it's my favorite of the three. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how long ago? When was the first time you saw it? Like how old were you? I saw it when I was. 14. I saw it when I was 14. Oh, wow. And then again, in, a couple times in university, it was typical kind of hungover Sunday fair that would get you through the day kind of things. So. But it became one of the, one of your, yeah. one of your favorites. Definitely a go, uh, go to. Nice. And you were asking me, uh, in terms of like how this fit into Kurosawa's films. Yes. And so in particular, I mean, I think so many, he was influenced, Kurosawa was influenced by like people like John Ford and right. And so he was very influenced by um, Westerns uh, from Western culture mm-hmm. and really brought that into his you know, samurai films that he made in right. Japan. But then what was kind of fascinating was that uh, then he influenced the next generation of Westerns in the United States right. because he kind of took it and did it better. Right. It is something interesting. And in particular, um, the first two films in this series... The first one, almost like beat by beat, is a remake of his film uh, Yojimbo. Okay. Uh, and yeah. then San- and then he made a sequel to that called Sanjuro, which uh, for a few dollars more is not, I wouldn't say is really a sequel to that at all. No. But the, but the plots of Yojimbo and A Fistful of Dollars, you could watch them like side by side right, yeah. and just see the scenes. To the point where um, Kurosawa actually wrote a letter to Sergio Leone yeah. telling him how much he loved his film. <laughs> yeah. Because he's like, and the reason I love your film is because it's not your film, it's my film. Oh my God. <laughs> With the Clint yeah. Eastwood. Yeah. And I think they actually tried to sue them. Really? And there was a big thing over, uh, I, I think I mentioned this in, in the, the other ones, um, but there was a big thing where they couldn't, the reason why it ultimately became The Man With No Name, and, and people call him different names yeah. in all the films, is because they legally couldn't, he's technically a different character in for a few uh, dollars more, right. because Leon and the producers were in a lawsuit. Right. And so it's technically not a sequel. Yes. Uh, okay. Even though Clint Eastwood's clearly playing the same character. Yeah. He's got the same... Everything's the same. Yeah. Well, not only does he have the same poncho on, it's got bullet holes where that are the, in the right spot yeah. from the previous... Yeah, where the cast iron Which is kind of a, a fascinating yeah. little F.U. he made to the producers. Yeah. But they changed his name. I think they call him Joe in one, and then they call him Bug Bub or something in another one. My understanding was as well that I, like, I don't think he wanted to be in the third one. Eastwood, yeah. like I, I don't, I didn't dig too much into it. But when I, I remember it, one of those because he he wasn't big at the time, but I do recall. I don't think he liked the sharing the screen much with people. Like he wasn't, like it be you know he was a big part of that movie, but was he bigger than Eli Wallach or you know um, Lee Van Cleef? Right. So yeah, I think yeah. that that wasn't for him interesting yeah. but also it's like when he did the first one I mean he was just coming out and by the time the third one comes out he's he's broken out more exactly yeah. I get that's interesting but he's still and it's funny because I, I know that this is the this one is the one that is is the most well regarded Celebrate, yeah for sure uh, but I uh, because I had put off watching them for so long for reasons I don't even understand like I bought this DVD box set you know at HMV or something yeah 
forever ago, going, oh, that's something I know I should watch. Yeah. And then it sat on my shelf, like things often do. Yeah. And then I finally just started getting around to them this year. But it is funny, those... Like, I don't think I ever would have watched it if not for mm-hmm. a buddy of mine that I went to high school with. His dad was totally into this, you know, old westerns, old movies in general. Um, I don't think this would have hit my radar if not for him. Like, I, I would have been in the same boat today, probably. Yeah. Because none of my other friends, my wife certainly has no interest in seeing these movies. Like, it's, you know... Yeah, and I, I grew up in a house where it's like, my mom liked musicals and comedies, and my dad liked comedies, yeah. and uh, and watching sports on TV. Yeah. And that was kind of the the gist of it. Yeah. I had an uncle who was really into movies, and so I'd get stuff from him every now and then. Mm-hmm. But not really stuff like this. He had more like, he pirated new releases. Yeah. So I'd get all that kind of stuff. So right. I'm really up on those movies of that era. And so I found I, I've uh, taken it upon myself whenever he shows interest, my son to like throw him. Yeah, like he's watched some Kurosawa now and really digs yeah. it. That's what I'm gonna have to do next. Actually, is now watch those. So I didn't realize it was Fistful and Yojimbo were. Basically yeah, Yojimbo in particular is, is a direct ripoff of. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, Yojimbo isn't the ripoff. Uh, a Fistful of Dollars is the ripoff. Uh, but it's still entertaining in its yeah. own right. But when you watch your Jimbo, you're like, oh, you'll know, you'll know the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll know how you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll see every beat coming because yeah. you've, you're familiar. Uh, great. Well, let's, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't want to, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned you watched Man of War and it probably didn't matter. Yeah, I don't think it does. Yeah. I, I think they're all pretty standalone adventures. They don't really, characters don't really seem to carry over from one to the next. I do remember, I mean, obviously the names made sense. But when I had first, you know, fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, I didn't plug in. I just assumed they were all spaghetti westerns. Those two were connected because of the name, but I didn't. Good, the bad, and the ugly. I didn't realize, you know, was part of that. Oh, okay. I hadn't seen the other two yet, but it didn't. It took me a while to actually piece that together. (laughs) Yeah, and I think ultimately it gets called. People either call it the dollars trilogy or saga, or they call it the man without a name or man with no name. Yeah. Uh, or trilogy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, th- I don't know. I guess I knew that only because I bought the box set. Right, right. And there was three Definitely. of them in there, and it was all Clint Eastwood, and it was all the same director. Yeah. So I was like, oh, it's a trilogy. Yeah. And this is the order they were made in, so therefore this is the order to watch them so in. So are these, th- like, the only spaghetti westerns, though? Are there other spaghetti westerns? Or is Sergio, like... Oh, sure. There's, like, Once Upon a Time in the West, I think is considered a spaghetti western. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of them. Right. I think these are the more well-regarded ones. Yeah, okay. Because um, typically spaghetti western is just known as... It's kind of a lesser genre. Yeah. Because the, there's westerns. Yeah. There's stuff like Paint Your Wagon. Yeah. And uh, movies like that. My dad did, like, westerns, but he never showed me... The, I, I watched Paint Your Wagon with him. Yeah. I remember it came in that big, giant, double VHS. Yeah. And we had to, like, switch tapes. <laughs> Halfway through, um, so stuff like that, those movies, and but these were more like the genre yeah, yeah. type films that didn't really necessarily have the high regard mm-hmm. that those ones did. But I think probably have stood the test of time far better because of it. No, for sure. Because they're just popcorn flicks. Yeah, and meant to be fun. Uh, all right, well, let's dive in. I'm excited. Cool. I was nervous at first because for some reason I thought this was a four-hour movie. Oh, my God, yeah. And I was very relieved to discover it was 2.40. Yeah. My wife was like, you're, you're going for how long and doing what? And you know, like it was, she was baffled. Yeah, my wife can't either. This yeah. time of night, she's like, yeah. no, it's almost bedtime. Yeah, yeah. You got a coffee, you're going to be great. I'm great. Okay. Awesome. 
Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So we just finished. Fuck. I mean, that's epic. Yeah, it's great. It's it's epic in every single way. Yeah. It's, um, you know, just the storytelling, the length, the scope of certain things. But it's also such a small, simple story. Yeah. Which I also find a little funny sometimes like how long they make it based on how simple the story is and how but they're able to do it without being like oh really like do you have to like draw this out a little more i thought it was still i mean it's long but at the same time it's i think it's well done right? like the only time it feels like that it felt like that was the very ending yes where it's just like holy you're just milking yeah. all of this tension as long <laughs> i mean he's doing that throughout yeah but it, it works and it's fine. It's just at the very end, you're just like, really? Yeah. Are we really going to hold and hold and hold? Like that, that last during the the Mexican standoff with the three of them. Yeah. Like the amount of time it takes them all to get to the edge of that circle. And then just the shots back yeah. and forth before they're waiting for someone to draw. I mean, it's all it's all great. Yeah. But that whole final sequence, you could have trimmed 10 minutes off oh of it. And, and it, even just like Eli Wallach to go running around. In circles and circles, trying to find the yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, obviously, like it's a massive cemetery with you know hundreds of graves. So, it's just going to take them a long time. But it was just. I remember every time I'm watching, I'm like, oh my god, you got to just stop running around. It. <laughs> well, you're gonna put me to sleep or make yeah. me throw up. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just the. But I did love that. It just felt like watching a Simpsons episode where they're running through the house and the same background just keeps yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> keeps on going by. And it is almost cartoon-like in some in some areas and some moments. Oh, it's also so big that it's just... I'm trying to remember half the stuff I wanted to talk about. There's so much. There's so much. I and yeah, the ending is phenomenal. I do find it's interesting because, you know, whenever I think of it, like Lee Van Cleef and Eli Wallach and Clint Eastwood are obviously big characters. But I feel like... Like, if you didn't know Clint Eastwood, like, if it was, you watched this when it first came out, like, who's the star of that movie, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really is a, a three-way, yeah. I mean, it, I think it's more of a buddy movie yes. yeah. with uh, Tuco and Blondie, I guess, is what they call him in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and then with uh, um, Van Cleef's character, what's his name in the movie? Angel Eyes. Angel Eyes. Yeah. With him being the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, they literally call him the bad guy so in the title. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, he's the bad. And, um, and poor Eli Wallach, he's not an ugly man. I know. <laughs> he looks like, I was saying, he looks like a, we looked like, yeah. looks like a, a beaten up Bruce, uh, Bruce Campbell. Yeah. But, I mean, he's, he's definitely got, part of me wants to say he's got ugly characteristics to his personality, but, I mean, they're all sure. kind of like that, right? Like, they're all, like, you know, Clint at the end, you're kind of like, well... Are you just being cruel here? Like you're just having fun with them? Well, <laughs> like, but no, but the yeah. same, he's having fun with them a little bit at the very end. Yeah. But also, because I was thinking that, I'm like, I'm like, oh, you're a dick to the end. Yeah. But then he does shoot him free, and I love that because it's like, yes, you are the good guy. Of yeah. the three of them, he's the good guy exactly. because the other two would not have done that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you need to give yourself en- enough headroom to yeah. get away because that guy's following you, going after those other four bags. Yes. Yeah. I also liked how he, it was, yeah. And he's got an arc, too. At the beginning yeah. of the movie, he screws him out of everything. Yeah. And leaves him to walk. Or at least this time, he leaves him with half the money. It's also interesting, like, I'd be interested to kind of see 
what the timeline is throughout the whole thing, like from start to finish, like how long was that actually supposed to be? Just in terms of, you know, because it kind of starts, you know, obviously there's, you know, you start out and then they keep getting further into war-torn, you know, areas and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And finally at the end, they're just like, you know, they get, they actually are on both sides at one point, you know. Oh, literally. <laughs> like, yeah, they literally have to cross sides. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, they're, you know, when they're held up at the, the monastery or wherever they are, that's probably at least a week yeah. of him recovering from yeah. uh, walking through the desert yeah. and being scorched up. And then that's probably the longest period of inactivity in the movie. And then yeah, however much time it takes to cross across the desert and all. I'd say it takes place over the course of at least a month. Yeah. Probably. Because also the beginning, there's that great jump cut where suddenly they start working together and you see them doing the gag again in another yeah. town. Yeah. So some time is passing there for sure. Uh, and then obviously at some point Lee Van Cleef becomes a sergeant in the Union Army. and Or know. was he already one... And that's he, true. That's, that's true. I, I got this. I thought that he, maybe he was already one, and, yeah. he, and he just kind of dipped in and out. Yeah, that could uh, be of point. this second, this side life that he yeah. had. Yeah. Um. That's that's kind of what I thought because they knew him pretty well. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like he just got him, and he climbed the ranks pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just assumed that he uh, he was already part of the. Uh, which ones were the Blues? I don't. I don't know Union. my. Yeah, like the union. They were the union, and then the other ones were the Confederates. It's interesting too. There's a bit of um, Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress in this, where uh, which is the inspiration for the original Star Wars. But there's this uh, the storyline there is basically they have to get from one area to another area, right? Uh, but they've got to cross over this these two sides fighting. And they okay. have to navigate that. And there, there's different points where they have to... They don't necessarily pretend to be one side or the other. Yeah. But they've got... They basically decide it's like the best way to go... Because they're like, we can't go around. We can't go here. There, And it's like, let's just go straight through. Yeah. If we just go straight through, they're not going to notice us. <laughs> and a lot of the moments in this made me think of like... When they go to blow up the bridge, like, yeah. let's just grab a stretcher. Yeah. And we'll just go. No one's going to be paying attention. They're all fucking yeah. fighting right now. Yeah. Oh, there's so much... Yeah, I really love just I love movies with double crosses and triple crosses and Yeah, it's a very it's it's it was challenging for me because in so many ways like the characters were all being smart and doing smart things. Right. And most mostly Clint Eastwood and uh and Van Cleef because it's uh, there's so many times but I guess Tuco's Eli Walk's character is supposed to be the dumb one to some extent. Yeah. He's wily, like he's resilient. He's clearly got, you know, like when the guy catches him in the bathtub, like he's prepared. When, yeah. And, you know, he's he's clearly a skilled bandit. But he but, tells that guy, know, it's like, when, you, when you're going to shoot, why talk? Just, just shoot. Yeah. But he's the same guy that yeah. should have killed Clint Eastwood. A million times over. A million times yeah, over exactly. and yeah. didn't. But that's also, I guess you get the sense that they have a personal... A, a more harsh personal history. He's like, I just want him to pay. Yeah. He's got to suffer yeah. for what he did to me and he can't get over that fact where it's just like, just shoot him and move yeah. on. It is interesting to your point though, like at the beginning, like when, when him and Tuco connect at the beginning, there is clearly some, oh, you're up at 2000 now. Like how long had that been going on beforehand or how long had they been, did they go on for, 
you know, during. Yeah, because the first time they talk, you think how much you're worth, and you assume that's the first time exactly. they met. But maybe every maybe he started off being yeah. worth five hundred bucks, yeah. and he's like, "How much you worth?" And every time he asks him, time. yeah, yeah, because when he when he you assume that he's hogtied him and brought him into town, but he's yeah. you know he's putting yeah. on on the act. He's definitely like squealing a lot for yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's overdoing it. Yeah. It's great. It's so yeah. it's it's very very clever and smart in that way, and all of the all of the reversals, and you know now they're on this side. Just that that one great moment where uh, they start yelling at the army coming towards them about you know down with General Grant. Oh God, is it Lee? Awesome. Who is it? Yeah. And then they realize that the soldiers aren't the Gray Army. Yeah. They're just blue and they're dirty. What a great smart reveal. Yeah. And even just I found again like Eli Wallach isn't necessarily. You know, he's not dumb necessarily, but he is the the patsy to a degree. But I do love just the little like he can't read, or at least read very well, and that note that Lee Van Cleef left, and he's yeah. like, "Idiots, it's it's for you." Yeah, yeah. it's for you. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, it's well done. Like I definitely to your point, like it's a kind of a buddy cop or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, a buddy movie, buddy movie in a way. And it's so different. And that's why it's like, to, to your point, when you said that you didn't realize it was part of this trilogy, it really kind of isn't because the first two movies are so different. Yeah. Where it's like his, Clint's character is more of a guy who kind of shows up in town. He's a bounty hunter. Uh, but he's also, you know, ends up kind of doing the noble thing and saving the townspeople yeah. from wh- whoever the bad guy is that's moved in. Yeah. Uh, or in this one, he's just out for himself. Yeah, it's it's a very different kind of story, which I was glad to see because after two movies like that, it was like, oh, what what more can they do with that? Yeah. And I do love that there also isn't like any crazy backstory either. Like they know each other. No, it's so They're simple. All, but it's like it starts out. Lee Van Cleef is looking for this guy Jackson, who like, is now Bill, Bill Carson. Yeah, and then. There you go. And it just, that one little pivotal moment. And you don't know why? Yeah. yeah. And then you don't learn why until yeah. he's in the stage car. He's like, I got $200,000 worth of gold. Yeah. Which, back, what year is this? 86? Um, 1880. It's during the Civil War, yeah. right? So it's like, let me just quickly pull up an inflation calendar calculator <laughs> because I am fat. That's got to be, let's make a guess. Inflation calculator. Does it even go back that far? It only goes back to 1913. From, oh, from the 1800s? Let's see. How far can this go back? Pounding power of dollar. Um, oh, here we go. Inflation calculator dot org. So it's $200,000. Let's say it's 1886. Yeah. It's got to be somewhere around, around there. there. Uh, what's your guess? It's less than I thought it would be. Oh, really? A little bit. Well, it's got to be in the millions. Yeah, for sure. But, um, like, two and a half million? Oh! 5.4. Oh, really? So, yeah, I, I, for some reason I thought it would be like 10 million. Um, that's a ton. Like, Jesus Christ. I mean, Christ. seriously, yeah. That's, that's, the stakes are, are fairly high for these guys. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a shit ton of money to go after. <laughs> uh, and just like the amount, what's I was saying, like even that that graveyard scene uh, at the very end, you know, 
that is such an epic scope for just how much production design is in there. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays you would just, that would all be CGI, it'd be painted in. Oh, really? It's, you'd, yeah, you'd shoot in the landscape, you'd yeah, shoot yeah, in the open yeah. field, but they would paint in all those extra grays, as opposed to yeah. building them, and yeah. like, how much time, oh, yeah. and, and make bring the dirt in, and forming graves in the background, yeah. it's it's amazing the scope of that, that set outside. Which I find is so interesting, too, because like, it goes, like the close-ups are unbelievable. Like, obviously, they go, they go so narrow yeah. into the characters themselves, and then you go that wide as well. Like, I do, I said at the beginning, like, I remember every time I've watched that movie, there is a, a, a different stress level compared to more, like, current movies. Yeah. Where, like, more current movies, like, you see, it's not, like, they'll pan in on, a, on something going on, but you can still kind of have a better sense of what's going on around them sometimes. Whereas this is just like it's right into their eyes. Well, the first right shot is that close hair. up. It's like, yeah, 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 and that's what's great. And that's what makes, and that's why it's like again, it's it's Leone is kind of a master of a personal epic because yeah. it's so you're so close to these these three guys, but then you're seeing the scope of this time of 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 the world. Yeah, and uh, and so there's nothing. The best shot that almost encapsulates that is there's that shot where they're on the blue side and they're about to start the battle. They're starting the battle with the gray coats. And this guy with one shoulder runs towards, towards the camera. There's all this... There's No, they're, no, they're like panning across, I think. I want to say this is one unbroken take, but they must have cut away to something because they're panning across with that awesome captain yeah. who dies. The guy yeah. that was like, I just wish that bridge would blow up. Uh, and then they give him his wish. And uh, they're panning across. He's talking. You're seeing all these soldiers in the background. Yeah. And then they land. And then all of a sudden, I think it's, it's Clint Eastwood comes towards us. He's in this close-up. And then the battle starts. And we start to see everyone starting running. And then it pans to the right and pans to the right. Yeah. And we see, like, thousands of extras, it feels like. Yeah. Oh, that's, hey, Rufus. You woke up. What would you think of the movie? Long movie. Nothing. Yeah. It was long. Yeah. He would fall asleep during a half hour sitcom. Don't. That, that means nothing. Uh, so it starts panning, and then it keeps on going, and there's the bridge. Yeah. And then it keeps on going, and there's the other side yeah. of the battle, and there's like hundred, like a, at least a hundred extras over there. Yeah, running. Yeah. Fun, what what is like amazing, yeah. amazing That's level? Cool. But we're still just focused on our two characters. Yeah. Like we don't go in and really get to see that battle. No. Like the, the perspective and point of view that and restraint that Leon shows in those moments is, is phenomenal. That's true. Yeah. I, I definitely didn't think about that. But also it's like, I think just from a production point of view, he's probably being as efficient as possible going as well going, okay, I only have this many people for like yeah. two days. I got to shoot yeah. them out. Which seems a little ironic considering how, much he draws it out to a degree as well like thought that particular scene but overall yeah like, you know he he definitely but that yeah to your point maybe that's why at the very end he's like i only got these three guys left i got that's all i can use i can i can, yeah. I can milk the hell yeah. out of him yeah, yeah we ran out of i got three guys in a, in a fifty thousand graves yeah and i do love like from a character perspective like eli wallach is is one of my favorite characters but he just the type of guy that he is in that kind of environment the scene where he has the bath yeah. It's like in the middle, like literally the place has been exploded around you. 
he goes in and it's like but the bath is still warm apparently the bath is still warm because you hear him like oh uh, but then he's pouring in bath salts and soap and he's just bubbling it up and he's having fun squirting the water everywhere yeah, it's his annual bath yeah. and then at that right before they they uh, right after they blow up the bridge like jump in the rabbit hole he's just got his ass but, up in the air yeah. and he falls asleep and then when they wake up he gets up and you don't actually see it, but it's hilarious because I'm like, and of course this is what it, he gets up and he takes a piss, like he, and he's like just shifting and fixing his pants and that's and then that's him. He's like, yeah, I just woke up from an, a nap and got to take a leak and. But you know, but what's also great is he uses he is like he's that wily kind of unscrupulous type guy, and what's really really great is he he he's aware of that as well and yeah. he uses that against people. Like when he when they're captured and he's in the train and handcuffed to that other guy, yeah. uh, and he's like, "I gotta pee," and he's yeah. like, "You can't look at me. I can't pee when you're looking at me." <laughs> and he gets him that. to turn his yeah. back so that he can yeah. he can throw him off the train yeah. and smash his head against a rock. That's awesome. Uh, you know what? So he's aware. He's self aware totally. of how he's perceived yeah. and totally uses that as a, as a as a as a method against other people. It's phenomenal. There's got to be something, and I don't know what it is to be honest. I mean, I've seen that, and I'm just trying to go back. Like, I was trying to figure out if I'm, I was like Arch Dan, and I remembered the name. Like, when we were, I was trying to say, like, what is the, what is the, the name? And it's, I love that at the end, I'm like, I can't, was it, was it anonymous beside the thing, or unknown, or yeah. whatever. But I think I've seen that at least 10 times, now that I think about it. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm like, but it seems like one of those movies where... After having seen it, I, it's not one of those I could just watch it right again. I need a lot of space in between viewings. Oh yeah. But I'm like, what is it about it that is so compelling that I could like? It's a simple story. It's. I it's think I can so watch it again right away, only because I'm like, I want to like take notes. Yeah. On just, just at the story beats. Although I, I can go on Wikipedia for that because it's just so. I love how simple it is. Yeah. And just tracking like the three different guys and and and. Who's screwing who at what moment? <laughs> just all that kind of stuff is so delicious yeah. for me, and just and just how funny and how fun the movie is. Yeah, you know, they're just it's just I, they get away here, and anytime something convenient happens, uh, like like um, Clint Eastwood's got his, his his head in the noose, yeah. and then the cannon blows up the building, <laughs> and uh, and Tuco gets sent to the floor below and yeah. he gets to get away. But then two seconds later, Tuco finds him. Yeah. Like so, Tugo's capable too. Oh yeah. So and then and then they get dragged out into the to the middle of the desert where he's trying to you know torture him to death, but then all of a sudden Tuco has to fucking you know eat his shit and yeah. make and, and and bring him nurse him back to hell. That was great. It's like, oh my good friend. Yeah, my my yeah. darling friend. We yeah. got to take good care of him, uh, and you get just a little backstory. Like the most backstory you get on any of these characters is in that scene at the monastery with Tuco and his brother. Yeah. Uh, Part of me always thought I'm like you could have left that out and it would have mattered, but it was a nice little addition, especially when he's leaving. It's like, oh, my brother and I, he loves me, he wants me to stay, and you're like, he wants to believe that. Yeah, he really wants to believe that, and he wants Eastwood to believe that, and it's just like, well, that's I, a weird exposure of his character. You're like, I didn't expect to see that, but I think that's there because of the other way, because of how we're seeing him throughout, right? Uh, and all like the the back cross, the double crossing he does. And we get this sense that it's like he was wounded at some point. It's like he could have led a different life. Yeah. He took after it looked after his parents. Yeah. Like in his mind, he had to become a bandit because there was no other life for him. Yeah. He probably would have chose something different. 
And so that's what I love about including that is it lets us know that it's okay that he survives at the end. Yeah. He's not really a bad guy. No. He's just, he just had life came in and, and dealt him certain yeah. cards. And I do love as well, like at the end, like, What's Eastwood going to do with all all that money, right? Like, so he does leave the four bags, even though it looks like he's leaving him to die. But at the same time, it's like, no, you know. I think he was always going to shoot him down. I think so too. He just needed to get far enough away that he can't follow him. Exactly. But at the same time, it's like you you want to believe that it's like you got half. Yeah. You know, don't stop going after this guy. Yeah. Maybe you guys are running to each other in five years down the road. Yeah. But they also, you know, they also both walk out with two point seven million dollars. Yeah. And yeah. like, um, you think that's enough? They yeah. can stop now. He wears the poncho throughout the other two, right? For the most yeah. part, yeah, yeah. It doesn't come back to the end here. Yeah. So he's yeah. just that, but that, one, that that's a different poncho than he has in the other two. Is it? Yeah, it looks like he. Well, because otherwise, where is, is it the whole movie? It's definitely yeah. No, so it's definitely different. But I do find it little things like that also interest me. Like you brought it back to, to is it full circle or like what is it that you needed to. You know, at the end, he's giving a dead man his jacket to make yeah. sure he's okay. Guy dies. He almost thinks about taking it back. And they leave it. And, and, and then he leaves it. And he's like, yeah, you keep it. And I'll just you grab this poncho that's like the one I've always had. What would have been cool is at the end to reveal that this third film actually leads into the other two. Uh, now that he's got the poncho on, yeah, yeah. he goes off and now he goes and saves the other town. Right. And it's like, this is the movie where he learned to kind of be altruistic a little bit and help others. Right. I, I'm going to believe that. I want to believe that this is a prequel <laughs> yeah. to the other two. Yeah. And the pon- and this is where he gets the poncho. Yeah. That's what I'm telling myself. This is his, this is his origin story. There you go. I, uh, I that. And uh, I don't know how the facts line up. If that, that, that can be supported... Um, I really, really dug it, and and, yeah. and I can see why this is, this one is the most revered of the three, yeah. uh, especially because the other two are just ripoffs of Kurosawa movies. Where this one feels like it's its own thing, um, and its own somewhat unique thing. Although I'm sure he's borrowing from other places. I mean, every movies are borrowing. So from- does that, in your experience, though, like how often does that do you end up killing it in the third? Oh. Ah, uh, I mean, what movies do... I mean, a lot of times the sequels are better. Sometimes, like, Godfather yeah. 2 is... is yeah. I mean, the Godfather 1 is so good, though. Yeah, but Godfather good. 2 is a, is a great sequel. Uh, we were talking just before we were doing this that uh, you said Hellboy 2 is better than Hellboy yeah. 1. Um, you know, Empire Strikes Back yeah, is, is probably stronger yeah. than... Uh, I liked The it Last Jedi. was Je- my favorite one. Yeah, I liked Last Jedi better than I liked Force Awakens. Yeah, I like too. Force Awakens yeah. as well, though. So there's uh, there's quite a few that um, that go on and surpass, but the third one is I think more rare that they get better as they go along. Maybe Return of the King, um, but that's also building towards a yeah. conclusion. I, yeah, I find movies like that are I don't know if they're different, but yeah, yeah, I, I find it less of a a sequel as it is a as a yeah. finale, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to assume I'm I'm seeing it in two days. By the time this episode airs, it'll uh, it'll have uh, come out. Um, but Endgame has just yeah. been released in theaters, so I kind of see that. Even though it's like movie number twenty two, yeah, uh, in a series, in terms of like the big movies, I kind of see that as like the third movie in a in a trilogy. 
in the sense that starting with like Civil War, yeah. that really upended everything. No, you're right. And yeah. then going through to Infinity and now Endgame, it feels like that's a third movie and, and a big arc. Yeah. And and the reviews for that so far have been n- nothing but really yeah yeah phenomenal. I, mean, I I just I looked at Rotten Tomatoes real quick yeah, just yeah. this afternoon just to see the score and it's like ninety six percent with like three hundred reviews yeah. coming in. I do find that that. You know, obviously this is a little, not off topic necessarily, but you get to that where all of the, all of those Avengers movies, it took, you know, it takes a while to figure out where it's going, that there is a continuity. You know, obviously there's continuity amongst all the, all the different movies, but even for someone who followed the comics, yeah, it's like, it wasn't clear from the outset. It wasn't clear from, and for me anyways, that I was just like, these are great movies, and I, I know they're going somewhere, but I just, you know, I didn't know it was going to be, you know, ultimately where they ended up. The Infinity Saga. Yeah. Well, they don't really even tip their hat to that yeah. until uh, the end of the, the tag scene in Avengers 1. Where yes. they Because yeah. they're not even try, even giving away that the Tesseract is an Infinity Stone. No, exactly, yeah. Uh, you know, that's almost something they made up for the movies, yeah. right? Because I don't think the Tesseract... Tesseract's not even a thing in the books, is it? I not can't. as far as I know. Yeah, so that's something that they, they made up. Yeah. I'm sure they had in their back pocket, but um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I love love the simplicity of this. It's really, really great and really smart. But but to, to that epic scope, like even just thinking thinking of like a mo- movies like the Infinity War and, and Endgame, I'm sure is very similar. Where you know, most of those movies are shot on green screens and all the right. effects are done after. Right. And you, I mean, they're still ridiculously expensive movies. But I just think of, like, a movie like this, is, it comes out in 1966, which means it was probably shot in, I don't know, 63, because it would have been done in Italy yeah. and then dubbed, so it would have came out here later. Um, but, you know, everything you see... There's no special effects in this movie. No. Outside of, you know, blanks and guns yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, everything you're seeing is happening on camera. Yeah. So it's like you've got Eli Wallach chasing after horses and trains and getting on yeah. them. That was crazy. That train shot is, is, you can see them speeding it up. Yeah. Because he starts running funny. Yeah. And yeah. you realize the train was going super, super, super slow, slow so he could get on. But, you know, there's that other shot too where Clint Eastwood rolls down that sand dune. Yeah. And then Eli Wallach throws something, and it rolls down the hill, and then it cuts to a close-up of Clint Eastwood's head, and it rolls yeah. in. But still, just the, the tra- was, you could tell that's where it was going. Like the trajectory was, of where it was rolling was pretty impressive. Pretty good. And there's a couple. There's I, I'm, I'm missing a few, but there's a lot of stuff that that's pretty bold. You know, one take moments that, yeah. that that he's choosing this frame, uh, and that's all happening in, in the screen. Like yeah. they're not cheating that with with CGI. Yeah. Like, just all those soldiers and all those extras that are in the background yeah. and all those various scenes. Like, those are real people. Those are real sets. Yeah. Oh, my God. The number of times after I saw those movies that I tried to light a match with my thumb or, like, just, you know, flick it off something. I'm like, that's... But Clint Eastwood, how many times you just sat there and you just lit it with his thumbnail? Yeah, and you wonder <laughs> if that's something that he could just do. I, and I'm, so they incorporate it's totally it. something he just... But that's also... I was a, were you a Boy Scout? I I wasn't a Boy Scout, but I went to camp, and we had to do all that stuff. So if you like, um, like one of the more modern tricks to it's called like to make to make a strike anywhere match is you take a match, right, and you coat it in nail polish, Uh 
and um, and then if you and you can just literally strike it on any surface, or just you can do that with it with your thumb. I did not because the friction when you when you go to do that, the friction of you basically um, flicking the nail like this now solid encased nail polish. Yeah, flicking that off is enough friction against the the sulfur or whatever is in the match wow. to make it light. I had no idea. So they probably did a similar trick. I wasted trick. a lot of matches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's a way to do it. Like if you've got sandpaper. I, that's yeah. just, I think they're trying to sell it. It's like this man, this is a man's man with yeah, rough exactly. hands. Yeah, he could do it on his beard or something like that. Right? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just got rough skin and yeah. rough hands. But that's the way we, we would do that because that also made them waterproof. Uh, but it waterproof your matches, but it made them strike anywhere. So there's your little home tip for Love that. Love that. doing a cool uh, match tricks like yeah. Clint Eastwood. Cool. And this was it. So because I, I, you you mentioned that Clint Eastwood was getting sick of uh, making these at this point, I'm sure he got a good payday. My impression was like I can't remember. I remember talking about it a long time ago. I don't know if it was he was getting sick of doing them or whether he didn't like how his role was progressing or something like that. Yeah. Cause now he's, he's, he's the third. Yeah. He's one of three. It wasn't, it wasn't a Clint Eastwood movie. I mean, obviously when you, when it was released or whatever, it was his, it's his face on the, the DVD or the VHS or the, whatever it was. Yeah. You know, and you still think of the trilogy as him being the star. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I think that, you know, that was even like the title. It's, these three guys. Right? Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, he, well, he, he was paid like, I think, six grand to do the first one. And then the second one, I think I read that he just really dug working with uh, Sergio and they upped, upped his, his salary to like 70 or something. Yeah. And I'm sure this time around he got paid a lot more. I think it was pretty good this time around. But, yeah. Which is still, you know, I'd like, I, I think a testament to his, his business savvy considering he wasn't, like, I don't know when he broke out big, but it was... It was around this time. After this. Though. Yeah, it was... But this is yeah. the thing that got him yes. on the map. Yeah, yeah. But also, just, like, the scope of the movies just gets drastically larger as they went along, yeah. too. Because yeah. A Fistful of Dollars is just basically a backlot set yeah. of uh, of a town. Right. Or two towns, I guess. Two towns and, two like, towns, a, yeah. a hideout in a graveyard. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty simple. Where this is, I mean, those that trench set with the civil, all the civil war stuff, well, that ending, yeah. you know, the, those towns which are probably back lots again, but still, it's all like the dilapidated ones. Yeah, those are those seem pretty specific. It's again, it's pretty amazing. Just again, you how simple the storyline is and how big he made it. Right? Like, yeah, and I love all the little nuances, like uh, you know. Tuco not wanting to eat the soup until uh, until Angelize Angelize takes takes, takes a yeah. bite. Yeah, and then he and, and then the music like that great sequence oh where he's like, "Do you like music while you eat? While you uh, eat?" He's like, oh, "Yeah, it helps with digestion." And then they play this yeah. somber, sad music that the one guards is like with more feeling. Oh my god! Uh, but that's what he plays yeah. while he's having people being tortured, <laughs> which we know is the thing because that other captain or general or whoever is that's dying of gangrene yeah. was like, Hey, yeah. stop torturing yeah, people. We know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone knows what's going on. He's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I'll stop. And then he clearly doesn't, but you also get the sense. I don't know if there's a scene that was deleted, but he makes this come. He's like, yeah, well I'm alive. This activity doesn't happen anymore. Right. And he's like, yeah, well you're alive. Yeah. It's like, he's going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Unless he just does it right away and we just don't see it. 
Because maybe. he starts torturing yeah. people in, in like two it's scenes like, later. Yeah. So you get the sense that maybe it's that an general speech, or he's just no longer in the picture. Oh, he's like, yeah, okay. So you get killed, and then it doesn't matter. Nobody, yeah. nobody here cares. Because they're all realizing that yeah. walking away with a part 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 of uh, five point seven million dollars is yeah a lot better than whatever we're doing. Exactly. I, I was gonna say like the only other and I never even noticed it before, but like at the beginning, when Tuco just shows up with a big bit of a gang, right? It's like where do they come from? Throughout he's that was always, awfully quick. Throughout, throughout he's typically a loner, like from what we've seen of him, anyways. Except you know he's teamed up with Clint and then Clint abandons him, and then he then finds these three guys, and then well, though at the same time though those guys don't last very long, and then you get the sense that. He picked them just to die. He picked them yeah, just so that he could get the upper hand on Clint. Just to distractions, yeah. Yeah, because that's, that's all they have. And then he doesn't pick another gang ever again. True, true, yeah. He's just using those people as, uh, yeah, as, as pure distractions. But again, the sound is, is so... You know, for a movie that's shot, you know, without sound, and then they did, you know, dubbed every single line and everything yeah. afterwards... Uh, like you were saying as the movie started that, you know, this, the sound is so magnified and done so well. And in and, and that sequence where Tuco's brute squad uh, yeah. gets killed, it's like there's the, there's the army outside that's muffling the sound. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it, stop. it stops for a moment. Yeah. And then he, he just hears that jingle of the um, spurs for one second. Yeah. And that's all he needs to know yeah. that it's like there's people outside. It is amazing with stuff like that. Like, obviously, on one level, it, like, I think, like, I'm trying to think, if my wife were to see that, she would look at the dubbing and be like, this is terrible, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, especially that one, um... The guy with the legs. Half soldier. They call him half officer. (laughs) But you're like, it was, it wasn't even close. No. But at the same time, you're like, well, whatever, like, there's... I'm sure... Sergio Leone found that guy and he's like, I don't care that you can't act. You're yeah, in a movie. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll put another, we'll give another yeah. actor your lines. Yeah. You just got to hop along and look, and look yeah. amazing. But it's, I just find that part amazing. I, it made me think of, did you ever watch those hard boiled movies? Like with Chow Yun Fat? Yeah. yeah. And uh, like the killer. Yeah. I've seen those kind of, yeah. yeah. Whereas I, I would always prefer the subtitled versions because the Americanized dubbed versions were terrible. Yeah. Like it was just like hyper-Americanized voices and that kind of stuff. Whereas I found this was quite similar in that regard. But yeah. It was, and they're also clearly rewriting some lines because oh yeah, they yeah. don't fit at all. But it was like, but that was Italian cinema. I mean, Fellini's movies are all dubbed too. Yeah. Those are just done better. Right. Because they had, they took more time and more care in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like Eli Wallach's doing a good job with his dubbing. So is Clint. Like all yeah. those guys are kind of doing as probably good of a job as you can. True. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other little touch I loved of uh, Tuco's character is when he goes into the the shop and buys the gun from that guy. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, which is like that. That's another moment where I'm like, this guy is selling guns for a living. There's no way yeah. he doesn't know this trick of, yeah. of not giving the bullet. Yeah. Or, or give them one at a time so yeah. you can test it. Or have a gun on you while you're selling it. Yeah. Anyway. But the, the what I loved was he basically he took out like a Colt or Remington and one other gun. And he basically built his own gun, right? Yeah. I love that little, that little touch. I do find like out of all of them, like I think you mentioned earlier, there's like a almost like an animated like comic strippy feel to some of it. Like, sure. Where 
I felt like I was watching kind of like a Wile E. Coyote or yeah. some kind of like he's sitting there. That that storekeeper almost had like that hangdog, bloodhound type of look to him. And it was just like, you know, stick the sign in his mouth when he's done and shoot the yeah. the sign, you know, the the bullseyes down. It was I was just like, I feel like I could be watching a classic cartoon here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, and then you get like someone like Tarantino who comes along and, yeah. and is influenced by, you know, what Sergio Leone does with that. Right. You know, and kind of does take similar moments in, in some, especially his later films. Um, you know, I feel like you, you, you get a lot of the Asian influence um, of movies early on, like Asian gangster films or in Tarantino's earlier films. And then, right. but then in this back half of his career, he's more influenced by guys like Sergio Leone. And yeah. just, he's making these big epic totally. things where you draw. I mean, he literally used Marioni for, uh, for, uh, Couple of his scores. Oh, I didn't know that. I think he did Hateful Eight. Um, I want to say he did Django too. He definitely did. Uh, he definitely. Well, he he. I think he he used some needle drops from the movies, some parts of the score. But I want to say that he uh, hired him because I think he's still he's still alive. Let's find out. No, that's not him. Where are you? He got his own title card too. I love that he got his own title card here, <laughs> where uh, so many other, all the other the cat. I mean the the crew the cast for a four for a three two hour and forty minute movie. The um, the credits go by pretty fast. Ennio yeah. Morricone. Sorry, I said his name wrong. I said Enrico. Uh, for someone who the the, the it's such a long movie, it goes by pretty quick. Those credits. Yeah, he did Hey Flake. That's awesome. I Why know, wouldn't you? But his movie's also been sampled in so many things as right. well. Uh, it's such a... He's just one of those guys that has... I mean, this... this. I think you... Even if you don't know... Um, haven't seen these movies, you know the music. Right. Or you've heard it or you know where it's from. Right? It's so iconic. Yeah, he's just got hundreds... You can't even go through them. He's got hundreds and hundreds of credits, but Hateful Eight, he... Uh, He's listed as performer and as composer, so I feel like they probably stole a few things. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean anything either. I think he, yeah. And then the, movie, the music is just sampled left, right, and center and all over the place. And me and Earl and the Dying Girl, he did the main title for that movie. <laughs> that guy's just all over the place. American Sniper, I have not kept up with his career. Wow. It's pretty amazing. Still going strong. I mean, that's that's a good. Like I love Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is one of my favorite actors. Always has been. Um, and he did Django as well. Oh, did he? Yeah. But I love that Clint started in something like this. Right. I don't know why. It's just always been such an endearing start. Like you know, he's not a young guy there. He's not old either. But he's not. He didn't start super young. No. But uh, I, I don't know why. I just love that he started in these crazy spaghetti westerns. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's histories of actors starting off in these movies. Yeah. Not necessarily this genre, but other just genre films, and then they work their way into the mainstream. 
Yeah, and he did Inglorious Bastards too. He's been using his music. I'm sure he's part of Kill Bill because you just look at the end of uh, of Kill Bill, where uh, David Carradine, yep, Keith Carradine, no, David Carradine's David. walking off Death Proof, Grindhead. Yeah, he's all over the back half of Tarantino's career. When did Keith Carradine die? A Keith Carradine died. Yeah. Um, in a not pleasant fashion, if yeah, I recall. Yeah. Uh, yep, Kill Bill, it's all over it. So, um, yeah, definitely from uh, the Kill Bill movies on, he's he's uh, working with Marioni, if not just sampling his pieces. I think he's getting him to write for him, so. And maybe it's David Carradine that died. No, Keith was, no, yeah, you're right, David died. Yeah. Keith was Keith was on like uh, Deadwood, yeah, and um, Dexter as well. For some reason, I remember he was in Dexter. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm tapped out. I got nothing else. You got anything else? What What are your final thoughts? My final thoughts is I I think I need to do another run of westerns. I need to watch some old some other old western classics just to kind of. I also have to see the Kurosawa movies because I've never seen them. Oh, get into them! Yeah. And if you, uh, I don't know if you subscribe to the Criterion Channel. They just they yeah. just launched uh, an app, so you can stream most of their collection. Really? On uh, on your tablets and That's smart awesome. TVs, it's amazing. Yeah. It's it's for like ten bucks a month. Considering what they charge for their discs, yeah, it's it's phenomenal, and they all come with the supplemental features too. Awesome! It's it's a bargain and a half, and a a large chunk of the Kurosawa films are available That's on great. there and through that. And I, even if you just sign up for a month and you just yeah. binge watch, it's 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 worth it. That's great. I mean, we cut the cable a while ago, so we don't have like a Rogers box or anything like that. But you know, I pay for tons of the Crave and yeah. Prime and. Although I think they know. still have. Um, I don't know if you have ever used the Toronto Public Library. And other library systems, I'm sure, subscribe to it as well, have this system called Canopy. Yep. So I think there's... Canopy did. I don't know if that's changing now that Criterion Channel has, has launched. But for the longest time, they had a lot of Criterion movies on through Canopy. Cool. I so you might know. even be able to watch some of them through that. Wow. We've done, yeah, public library stuff. We've we, we've done podcasts and stuff like that. Or, sorry, audiobooks. Um but we haven't done movies. Yeah, the the Canopy app is great. You can download right to your laptop or smart tablet or whatever and, and, and plug it into even a high-end projector and it, it streams in HD. So I recommend. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Well, thanks for coming over, man. Thank you. We'll have to great. pick a, another movie sometime that you haven't seen. I know. One, um, I don't know how it came to mind. I've never seen Chinatown. Oh, we haven't done Chinatown yet. I've never seen Chinatown. Okay. I don't know why. There's it's always a, been one of those ones that, like, I love Jack Nicholson. It's great, but I just, I've never... Nice. I, got, I have a few people that have mentioned they want to watch Chinatown, so I'll try to arrange a group night. Yeah. And we'll do that. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming over. Thank you. Let's all go. Thanks for joining us for the Man With No Name trilogy. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com.
Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby together.